Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. With me today is Nadia Oxford, as usual. Hello. And, of course, also a special guest, Mike Williams. Hello, hello, folks. How are you doing today? We are all doing very well, except for the part where I'm very sick. But I am soldiering through, and I'm going to be able to do this. Good for you. And, of course... As usual, we talk about on this podcast about RPGs, big and small, Eastern and Western. And we got a bunch to cover. Uh, we're going to talk about Knights of the Old Republic because Star Wars is out. Mm-hmm. It's it's an annual treat now. Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars. Nom, 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 nom. <laughs> eat it, eat it, eat it. Yes. More Star Wars. Just put it in my face. Oh, my God. Uh, and we're also going to be talking about the Nintendo Switch specifications because they will certainly have a bearing on rpgs because there will be rpgs on this console and whether or not they matter uh we're gonna get a persona 4 report from nadia we're gonna talk a little bit about valkyria revolution and we're going to talk about my continuing sd gundam g generation genesis escapades because god damn it this is the only place where i have an outlet for (laughs) all the things that are going yesterday i was in jury duty and like i just played and played and played until my eyeballs fell out so. Uh, were you playing while they were like dictating the case? Like, yeah, no, yeah, no. murder. Yeah, that would have been pretty great. <laughs> no, I was sitting. Um, I was sitting in the when when we had a lunch break. I played oh, okay. it. No, mostly I was coughing up my lungs while I was sitting in the <laughs> damn jury box, like going, "Why am I coughing? Oh God!" It was so bad. At one point, it was so bad that they actually gave me a ten minute recess so that I could get damn cough drops and a glass of water. <laughs> Congratulations on disrupting justice. Yeah, that's what I do. But before we get started with all of that, Mike, uh, a year ago, you called Knights of the Old Republic your favorite Star Wars game. Uh, we we all kind of came together and were like, well, what was our favorite Star Wars game? And uh, Jazz wrote about the old arcade version with the wireframe. And I wrote about TIE Fighter because I always write about TIE Fighter. It's what I do. But you wrote about... Knights of the Old Republic. No, no. The the prompt was, "What's your favorite Star Wars game?" I called it the best Star Wars game. So uh, let's <laughs> let's 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 not get it twisted here. Well, I don't know about the best, but I will definitely say that it it, it might be the most significant Bioware game. Like it is meaningful in so many ways, aside from being a really good just Star Wars story in general, it popularized the Old Republic timeline, which was known, but not known in the way that it is now. Like, it effectively created that entire universe. And in a time when the prequels were coming out, and the prequels were bad, yes, <laughs> like, this was a sanctuary for good Star Wars, mm-hmm. was the Old Republic era. And it was also a big deal because back then, uh, well... The concept of kind of PC games being on console was not new, but it seemed new. Mm-hmm. Maybe PC games coming out on console was like, usually they would be kind of a, a gimped version of console. Well, this was the case of a PC developer developing for a console first. Knights of the Old Republic came out after Xbox. And it really, at the time, signified a massive shift as Bethesda and BioWare and other traditional PC developers moved over to console. And a lot at the time, a lot of people considered it 
the death knell of traditional PC gaming. We all know that that was not the case. Yeah. <laughs> but Bioware, but Knights of the Old Republic was a big deal. It also made effectively, like Bioware was already a popular developer at that time. Mm-hmm. But it really made Bioware a household name uh, in a way that it wasn't before. Like before, like Baldur's Gate and, and Neverwinter, like those were very popular games with a certain segment of nerd. <laughs> But Knights of the Old Republic was, uh, Knights of the Old Republic, like, it was one of the biggest Xbox games. Yeah. And from that point on, everything Bioware did was a big deal. And, and yeah, Knights of the Old Republic really is, as you were saying with, with Bioware, it's, it's very much uh, probably the first step to what I would call modern Bioware. Absolutely, um, yes. Dragon Age was still sort of a half step back to what they were before, but since then, uh, Mass Effect, all of that stuff, uh, the, that certain, what you consider Bioware today, all of that has its genesis in what KOTOR was. So. Yes, absolutely. Uh, didn't they do the, the kind of hub and spokes idea where like you had like three like massive quests that you could kind of tackle in any order? Yeah. Yeah, no, they had uh, basically... That was a thing from that point on. You would go to a planet, and in the planet, there's main quests and there's side quests, and you can wander around, and you can make your choices, and that whole, uh, the, the, like, specific dialogue system, like, a a lot of what they came up with for KOTOR to make it more uh, mainstream-friendly is what they carried forward uh, into other games. Mostly but Mass at, Effect, so. But at the same time, like, it was still kind of vintage Bioware. Yeah. Like, they were definitely not at the point that they eventually got to where they were kind of much more of an, an action-oriented uh, RPG developer. At the time, like, if I recall correctly, KOTOR was still using D&D rules or something to that effect? Uh, yeah, similar. And it was still the, you know, the... the uh, you could play in real time, but it was really meant to be played uh sort of pause and move and and select your abilities and whatnot so uh yeah it it was definitely a more methodical game than uh what bioware is now which is very much uh more of an action game what was your first experience with kotor mike did you play when it came out I, I played it right when it came out. I was, hmm. uh, man, I remember picking that up and sliding it into the, the old grand Xbox. <laughs> the old thing. Oh my God. That was thing was just a, uh, just a monster. Oh my yeah, God. It was just it was a huge, ridiculous. fatty monster. <laughs> and, uh, just playing the hell out of it. It was, uh, such an amazing game because I've always been a, uh, uh, Star Wars fan, but for the most part, up until that point, um, all of the Star Wars games were sort of about the side that you enjoy more, which is the non-Jedi side. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas I am very much a fan of the high fantasy Jedi style thing, which uh, wasn't really touched as much. Uh, I, I don't know if that was because, uh, Lucas, Lucasfilm and LucasArch just didn't want to let people play in that space. Um, but yeah, you know, it was like TIE Fighter, there was Rebel Assault, uh, other stuff like that. Uh, this was the first game where you could 
really get in there and, and be a Jedi. Um, and I'm trying to remember what the exact timeline is. I'm trying to remember if Jedi Knight, uh, uh, Dark Forces Jedi Knight came before or after. I want to say before. It came out way before. Uh, yeah. Jedi Knight came out in 97. Yeah. Uh, and actually, Jedi Outcast, which was the sequel to Jedi Knight, came out in 02. Yeah. Uh, so KOTOR came out in like 03. Uh, yeah, that's an interesting observation. Um, mm-hmm. One thing that I've always kind of felt with the whole Jedi thing uh, was that the more you focus on the Jedi stuff, the more you risk the universe not feeling grounded. Like, the reason the Jedi stuff worked was because it was in conjunction with a universe that felt real, right? Because mm-hmm. it was like this used universe. The the uniform, the ships were all broken down. People, like, it, it wasn't all shiny and perfect and brilliant. But there were also laser swords, which seemed to speak to the potential and the excitement and the interest yeah. of the story. And if Jedi stuff was overused, that kind of became a problem. Uh, it's the same in Gundam, actually, where you have your kind of more grounded technology... I mean, granted, they're like giant robots that look like toys, but <laughs> they actually go out of their way to explain a lot of this stuff. Um, but then you also have your new types um, who have magic powers and stuff. And it, I've always found that the stories that don't lean on new type powers to be the most interesting because they feel more grounded and more interesting. But the new type stuff can add an interesting twist it only gets into trouble when it becomes too reliant on it, and you have too many characters who have superpowers like and laser idea. swords. See, see, I see it. I see it from the other side, where I I envision them more like uh, the Jedi focus is more like the old style martial arts movies. I mean, uh, hmm. um, great uh, Star Wars pulled from Kurosawa, but uh, even the Shaw Brothers Chinese uh, martial arts film, where you see the Jedi sort of like monks. So yes, you do have to have that realistic backing, but I enjoy uh, sort of the interesting ballet and the 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 feeling of uh, wow, this is these are amazing people in a very gritty world. I I do agree there is a balance to be had, uh, but I enjoy seeing more of that. Uh, I recently uh, rewatched the, or I recently watched the Plinket review of Force Awakens, and that review was garbage in many ways, and I <laughs> take issue with a lot of it. But one point that he did make that actually was correct in my mind was that the prequels had too many damn lightsabers. It was so much, oh God, so many yes. lightsabers that it actually like cheapened it, and I'd it leaned really that. heavily on the lightsaber battles that didn't look very good. Whereas in Force Awakens. There's one lightsaber battle, and it has punch. Mm-hmm. It is furious. It is awesome. So I, I think in that respect, I think that uh, the Jedi stuff can be really compelling in small doses. So, But you make an interesting point about the martial arts aspect and how that can be really interesting. Yeah. So, uh, and, and that was like, uh, KOTOR was like, oh, wow, like you can build your character. And yes, you start off without the... the the powers but then you like sort of work your way towards it uh and honestly for many uh and myself included that was my first real experience uh with that sort of uh crpg style of play uh i didn't Mm. get into games like planescape or baldur's gate or stuff like that all of the obsidian games and stuff like that bullfrog or whatever um 
until after that. Hmm. Yeah, you and a lot of people. I, I I'm actually in the same boat. I did not play CRPGs back in the late '90s. Uh, I I I was much more of a real time strategy fan. I was playing all the Blizzard games, <laughs> so you know, and like Diablo and stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I you're definitely right. Kotor was very much a gateway into that style of game. And while I think Morrowind came out on console right around that same time, yeah, it was about the same. Time. Like they uh, th- they really complemented one another and really served as a a great gateway into that style of game and as uh, i've already said was a boon for bioware and uh uh, bethesda nadia Mm -hmm. did you play kotor back in the day and you remember when it came out uh no i did not i did not have an xbox so i did not neither did i high five (laughs) you know xbox is one of the the original xbox is one of the only major consoles i've never owned yeah like i rented one actually for a while because i played a panzer dragoon ultra which was a really Mm. great game but um xbox intimidated me it was very very big and i'm very small (laughs) oh i was so anti xbox from like the start like the second came out like i was like (sighs) i was i was hissing at it like i hated the controller I hated the dude bro, Mountain Dew focus, yeah. fueled like culture around it. Uh, I wanted it to fail so badly. I I refused to give Halo the time of day. Uh, I was all I was like Team GameCube all the way. Yeah, poor little lunchbox. See, I was I was there for the Xbox because uh, mm-hmm. I've always been an early adopter. So the pitch, this is a PC, but as a console, I was like, I am right there. <laughs> like, Let's do this. Yeah, you are totally an early adopter. I can see you going right for the Xbox. If you yeah. go to the game, if you go back to the game, the Game Informer from the launch of the Xbox, you can find a picture of a friend, my friend, because he was the first, uh, the first person in Minnesota to buy an Xbox. I actually, I remember when I when the Xbox came out, I was, um, I was a custodian at a mall and uh, mm. an overnight custodian actually, and um, they had a midnight launch for the Xbox one night and. There wasn't really anybody there, <laughs> so I thought, man, this really? thing's gonna fail hard. <laughs> I remember wrong. the Nvidia. What was it? Was it the Nokia? Oh, the Engage. The Engage. Oh my God! Banana now that thing had midnight launches, and people really weren't at that, <laughs> that thing. <laughs> that had negative ten people there, as opposed to just ten people. But no, you're right, uh, Mike. After consoles being dominated by japanese consoles for so long Mm -hmm. like microsoft brought in a very different approach and what they essentially did was take a pc like with stock parts and turn it into a console and that became the way of the future yeah it did uh, in many respects so um really quickly let's uh let's do some quick memories uh from knights of the old republic i i asked people on the twitters Mm-hmm. to share their own memories of Knights of the Old Republic. Uh, Guillaume NWR writes, Fun fact, I played through my roommate's neglected copy for Xbox. He bought the game based on the box thinking it was action. <laughs> it's like Final Fantasy VII. What? Yeah. What? I don't understand. Why don't... Turns? Ah! <laughs> what the hell? It was my first Bioware game. I really liked it. Later got Jade Empire to play on the Xbox that wasn't mine. Didn't enjoy it nearly as much. It's a common story. <laughs> it's also the last Bioware game I've played. Oh, oh, there's so many good ones that have come out since. Yeah, that's surprising. Uh, at Lickchan, 
loved the writing and dialogue. The twist was still one of my most mind-blowing moments for me. Very well done. Mike, what was your reaction upon the twist? Did you see it coming or was your mind properly blown? My mind was properly blown. I didn't properly I didn't, blown to pieces. I did not I did not expect it. Uh and it and it always it, it actually ruined me because I wanted to uh go evil uh after that sort of uh twist came up, but I tend to play Bioware games as, uh, or any really game with morality as either all the way good for my first playthrough or all the way evil for my second playthrough. <laughs> uh, I, I generally don't, uh, sort of thread the needle and, and role play in any great degree. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, I'm all good. Let's do <laughs> this as an all good person. Saint Mike. <laughs> Yeah, I I I tried to do that. I tried to thread the needle in Mass Effect and paid for it because that game was like, no, you're only gonna get get the, get the good ending if you're gonna be a paragon. So be a paragon. I'm like, god damn it. <laughs> well, I guess I shouldn't have let that one alien race die. Uh, uh, oh yeah, well. that's a, that's a little bit of an oversight right there. But it's not like Bioshock, which was literally like I accidentally let like very accidentally let one little sister die, and I got like the you are Hitler ending. You monster. I know. I'm terrible. God. At Silent Fanatic, lots of great memories of that series, but the best has to be the argument with Atris and Tellos. The writing for that scene was just so expertly handled, I was positively livid at her attitude, which is exactly how you were meant to feel. Mike? Uh, I mean... Hmm. 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 I don't know how I feel about that anymore. (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I think mostly because I, I've had uh, so many uh, books and comics since then, uh, sort of weaving in and out of the world uh, of that time period that, like, my original feelings about the characters aren't the same as they were. Mm-hmm. Like, Karth, I used to hate Karth. Uh, and uh, For those who don't know who Karth is. Sorry, um, he was the Han Solo. That was supposed right. to be the Han Solo, but <laughs> he was boring. He was uh, uh, pre-Jacob. Um, uh, Jacob being from Mass Effect 2? 2? Yes. Um, he was really boring, and I hated him. But uh, through the Expanded Universe stuff, I, I sort of ended up appreciating Karth more mm-hmm. um, than I did before. Uh, and Juhani was another character like that where I was like, oh, I, I, I sort of get you now. No. Well, I mean, we all grow up and change and get new perspective on characters. No, I hold on to my childhood forever. (laughs) (laughs) I tried What's really weird is going back and watching shows that you enjoyed as a kid and, like, feeling that jarring feeling of having perspective shift from being able to understand and identify with the kids to understanding and identifying with the adults. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, God, no, I'm old. Ah. (laughs) That happened to me in The Mighty Ducks. Oh, did you watch The Mighty Ducks? Of course you did. I watched The Mighty Ducks last year. Mm -hmm. And when I was rewatching that movie, all I could think was, those kids are so tiny. (laughs) Oh, my God. Look how small they are. I didn't realize they were that small back then. They were so small. All right. The Lord Humongous. The best was the glitch that made everyone de-equip all gear when leaving the ship. You'd spend quite a bit of time (laughs) customizing everyone's stuff, and then suddenly they'd all stroll out onto the surface of a planet in their underwear. (laughs) 
I do remember that. We're here. I do remember that. No ball, je- no ball Jedi. Full Monty. Full Jedi. We take us seriously. Yeah, and it was annoying because the, the inventory system was not particularly friendly. Mm. Like, uh, one, of, one of the things that it, and I, I still don't think they've, they've like fully gotten it down is trying to do an inventory system on, a, on consoles. And just, uh, it, it's always so bad. <laughs> bias. Um, bias. Rafine, uh, Rafine Khan, Rafid Khan, bought during Steam sale, played through sixty to seventy percent of the game, only to check something on Wiki and spoiling myself. Oh. Mind equal blown. Ah, oh, no, the damn wikis. Gotta love it when the wiki spoils something for you. Yeah, that's that's foul. But but oh. it's not it's not about what happens. It's about the experience. It's about the journey. You have to. We keep already going. knew the Titanic sank. <laughs> but exactly how we got there. It's it's all about the story of Jack and Rose and their love story. Well, yeah. I guess when you, when you think about it, it's like Rogue One. You know they're going to get the plans. It's a matter of well, how do they get them? Yeah. But wh- no, I'm not what? really like spoiler phobic. So wait, uh, wait, wait. Are you saying that they get the plans, Nadia? I guess. Wow. <laughs> Jeez. Spoiler. I mean, I haven't even seen the movie yet. I'm sorry. For all we know, they might fail, and the Death Star might destroy the Rebel base. <laughs> yeah, some, someone someone castigated me uh, for saying at the end of Rogue One, they're all going to die. They were like, spoiler. I was like, I mean, they're pretty much all going to die. That's that's like the point. Yeah. Many Bothans died to bring us these plans. It's not Bothans. Oh, my God. <laughs> Come on, man. Bothans died getting the Death Star 2 plans. Why does everybody make that joke? <laughs> it's the wrong Death Star. It's Return of the Jedi. So that's what Rogue, Rogue uh, 1, 2 was going to be about. Oh, I hope so. That'd be fun. I, I want to see that movie. I want to see all of the Bothans dying. <laughs> that seems pretty cruel, Cat. Yeah. Uh, no, the Bothans can die for all I care. I don't even know what a Bothan is. So actually, on that note, Mike, do you think Knights of the Old Republic still holds up and is good to play? It's on everything. You can play it on Steam. You can even play it on your tablet, which is kind of remarkable. I can't imagine playing on a tablet, but uh, kids these days love their tablet games. So Knights of the Old Republic holds up uh, very well. It it definitely has a certain amount of uh, jank to it, uh, especially since Bioware was just now uh starting to get voice actors to actually create meaningful uh performances mm-hmm. uh that that was uh really hard in the early days and I, i'm not really sure who they hired uh to get that stuff done but it, the, it definitely shows in the voice acting uh that it's a little rough here and there at times but yeah. otherwise no nah, it's still worth it we weren't really that far removed from jill sandwiches <laughs> yeah we oh, really weren't we were like oh, five years removed oh resident <laughs> evil oh because re1 came out in what 97 96 yeah yeah 97 yeah Something i want like to say that. 97 so it was only like five years before that which is kind of crazy to think about mm-hmm. come yeah. a long way baby Sorry. we have indeed come a long way so mike you're gonna go see rogue one I am. um Yay. tonight like really soon so we'll we'll let you go to Go get your seat. Um, I'm going to go see Rogue One tomorrow. Do you think they'll like let us get away with doing a kind of back and forth discussion on Monday, uh, like spoiler filled? 
uh, about Rogue One on the site, like just kind of a, yeah, let's talk about Rogue One. Who cares? Yes, we know it's not game related, <laughs> but whatever. Everyone else uh, talks about Game of Thrones. So I don't see that. I think all. they'll yeah. let. I think they'll let us get away with it at least once. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it's just call a mulligan because I mean, Star Wars, right? Yeah. Yeah, we we should have a category called a mulligan. Uh, that we can use we can use once a month or something like that it's like okay yes but we really want to talk about it and this is our website so let eh. us have our fun yeah exactly we're, we're not gonna we're not gonna be like some other sites that make that part of our freaking business model <laughs> but uh we will we will talk a little bit about the star wars on monday mike <clears throat> thanks as always for coming on the show thank you and enjoy Enjoy the Rogue Ones, and we can follow you on Twitter at Automatic Zen. Yes. And anything else you want to promote? Uh, no. I, unlike everyone else, I I only do one thing, and that's U.S. Gamer. It's my heart, <laughs> mind, and soul. Oh, thank you, Mike. You're very dedicated to it. You do a very good job. Appreciate it. Good work this year, and we will talk to you again soon. Enjoy. Later, folks. All right, and we're back, and it's just me and Nadia now, and we are Girls going night. to talk. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> going to talk about lots of different stuff, but first, Nadia, I need a Persona 4 Golden update. How are you doing? Persona Persona 4 Golden update. Uh, well, I decided I'm going to uh, date Marie. Ooh, um, okay. Yeah, I just like the the mysterious so chick the, aspect. Marie is the girl in the the room. Yes, the velvet room. The velvet room. And yeah, she's a new character in Golden. She was not in the original Persona 4. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah, so oh, okay, so that's to my benefit, I guess. She likes to do, like, weird uh, poems and stuff. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. She, uh, she was kind building, of writing a poem. Yeah, and building up her social link, I guess, gives you an interesting story. So oh, what yeah. month is it? What month is it? Uh, I'm, st- I'm still in April. Um, You're still in April, so it's still relatively early on. Yeah, I just rescued uh, um, Yukiko. All right. Yes. Yeah. How, how was that? How was the dungeon? Like, what did you think of it? Uh, well, I forgot that uh, Persona is kind of a roguelike series, isn't it? <laughs> In what respect? Like, the dungeons are, are random, as far as I know. Uh, yeah, they're random. Tell. Yes. Well, there are only... Yeah, they're only roguelites in that respect. Like, right, your characters right. aren't going to die or anything, but still. Yeah, Yeah. so far it's uh, it's challenging, but not, like, killing me. Uh, whereas in a normal roguelike, I would be dead 50 times over by now. Were you feeling stressed out by the whole fog thing? A little bit, yes. Um, but I actually rescued her in plenty of time. Uh, I I don't know if, it, if there's any benefit to kind of just waiting on that. I mean, I know you can do like, y- you know, socialize instead of fight and whatnot. But I don't know. I just kind of felt like oh, I have to rescue her. She's all alone in there. And then she turned into a crazy bird. And it was really weird. <laughs> <laughs> a bird in a cage. A bird in a cage, yep. God, I love uh, those enemy designs. They're so whacked out. Yeah, but they're great. So memorable. They are. Uh, truth be told, um, the way that I usually handled it was that I would wait until pretty much the last possible moment and then just run through the dungeon in one go. Right. Because if if you stock up enough and you handle it properly, you can easily make it through the dungeon in one run. And that's kind of the right approach, in my opinion. In the previous game, in Persona 3, your characters would get tired. Mm -hmm. 
um, and would be would be drowsy the next day, which would result in things like them sleeping through class, <laughs> which was a problem because up uh, upgrading your academics and stuff like will uh-huh. get you like good awards and things. Make sure to study, Nadia. Okay, I was about to say I should probably study, shouldn't I? Yeah, you should be studying. Go to your clubs because that's mm-hmm. how you meet people mm-hmm. who can also become social links. But I um. But that's not a problem from Persona 4. Your characters don't seem to get tired. No, they don't. So in that respect, you can just run straight through. Uh, in Persona 3, that's, that's actually one aspect that I prefer about Persona 3 is that you have to manage your time a lot more carefully because mm-hmm. in that game, you're trying to hit, get, you're climbing up the tower. Right. And you're trying to hit a certain point before your characters get tired or too hurt to continue or whatever. And so there was a lot more of like, okay, how much can I do before the next full moon? Whereas in this <clears> one, it's like, okay, uh, I'm just going to blow through this dungeon. Done. All right, we're all set. Still yeah, love it. Um, but. I didn't have too much trouble with the dungeon, but I since I my cards, like I got too many Persona cards, so I went back and, and like did a fusion, but you don't have to really uh, spend a day doing that. You can, you can go right back into the dungeon. I discovered because there's a velvet room mm-hmm. right at the entrance there. Yes. So, yeah, you can keep on going if you want. Mm-hmm. Yes, you and, can. Uh, so I, I figured, you know what, I'll just... Uh, what I was going to do is, uh, after my first date with Marie, I was going to uh, have another one with her, but she can't have a date with you unless she's waiting outside the Velvet Room. Yeah. So I was like, okay, fine, I'll go rescue Yukiko. <laughs> and I did. <laughs> I like Yukiko. Um, she's cute. She is cute. <clears throat> and she reminds me of, like, one of my, like, really good friends from high school so, so like you're chie i like to think that i'm kind of chie like fun mm-hmm. loving and like energetic and at the time i loved meat i guess <laughs> <laughs> um and uh, and she was definitely um a lot more uh circumspect and bookish and mm-hmm. um, girlier so <laughs> we we had that kind of dynamic going on and um uh, it was nice so I, I actually was going to date Yukiko, if uh, but then I, I noticed Marie, and I was like, oh, you know what? I like her hat. Mm. <laughs> I'm going to so date her hat. I like her hat. Yeah, but I like her too, like the Sundere girl who's trying really bad to, to present herself as Sundere and, you know, is not, really. You will be surprised by the girl that I picked. Who's that? Uh, you have not met them, and you won't meet them for quite a while. Oh, okay. So I'll, I'll keep an eye out. We, I'll try well, to guess. Uh, I will let you know when you, uh, once, like, it happens. Because th- it's going to be a few Persona 4 reports uh, down the mm-hmm. line once that actually yeah. happens. But what do Probably. you think of the music? Oh, I love the music. Music's fantastic. But so actually, good, I was right? actually already familiar with the music because uh, I listened to a lot of RPG mm. uh, radio stations. Huh. So nice. On, like, Spotify? Yeah. And they have a lot of Persona 4 music going on there. Like, the, in- the intro song, uh, Backside of the TV, which is a great one. Oh, the intro uh, is so good in Persona 4 Golden. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> it's also Very really stylish. good in Persona Q. I love oh, the really? song, the intro song in Persona Q. Uh, it's called know. Maze of Life. You should check it out. Oh, oh, I know that one. Yeah, I it's I was really good. I singing it to myself for some reason a while back, even though I haven't played the game. Again, it was whenever on a radio I station. whenever I fire up Persona Q, <laughs> which <laughs> I've been playing for like three years now, <laughs> uh, I always watch that intro, and it always fires me up to play more. Mm-hmm. But uh, what do you think of the battle system? 
Battle system's a little simpler than I was expecting, but that's not a bad thing, really. Um, it looks nice. Like, everything's just so... As I said, the enemy designs are so weird. But uh, the the only thing I really got stuck on at first was learning how to fuse personas and just kind of getting the hang of using them and not being afraid to use them. One of the one of the things that you'll kind of discover is that fusions are really important. Oh, yes. Um, and especially as you get further into the game, you'll spend a lot of time obsessing about the fusions and what abilities that you bring to the table. Mm-hmm. And it's actually pretty Dragon Quest-ish in mm-hmm. uh, how important buffs and debuffs are in Persona 4. Yeah, I'm already getting that impression. Yeah. So are you liking it so far? Oh, yeah. It's, uh, it's definitely different. And that's okay. Excellent. All right. Let's see if you can get to May, and then we'll check out. We'll uh, check in again uh, for the yeah, next Persona I'm, 4 report. I'm almost done with April. So Yes. Excellent. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it goes through the entire year, so you got a lot of game to go. Yeah, I do. Indeed. But uh, well, what happens, like, uh, oh, just to, to jump in for a second, like, s- since I rescued, like, Yukiko before the next, um, the next foggy day, uh, how does all that empty time get filled in? Like, does does the the story just kind of progress on a on a schedule or is it you know oh this um it will continue through the fog mm-hmm. but basically it's like you complete the dungeon right and then you like see the story stuff and then you can just keep going through the days until the next big story event happens okay so it's it's all, it's all kind of date based then yes so free time Woo. yeah um and if you uh do not rescue person in question before the next foggy day they will die and you'll get a game over hooray no that's not hooray (laughs) that's (laughs) not good opposite of hooray opposite of hooray absolutely (laughs) all right well i've been playing i'm still playing sd gundam g generation genesis and i've discovered a new way to play it and i'm very excited what's that with your feet (laughs) (laughs) sorry (laughs) no i'm playing it chronologically Oh, so really? uh, it shows like all of the the stories um, and then plus the side stories uh, from 0079 till 0093. And mm-hmm. one of the big things that happened in, in Gundam was that there was this one year war mm-hmm. and uh, lots and the one year war like had some very specific events that happened during it. Right. And a lot of the stories that are told in the Gundam universe are kind of around those events, but happen from different perspectives and kind of around the world. Mm-hmm. And so I, like somebody put together a listing of all of the different story missions and when they take place on the timeline. Mm-hmm. So for example, like MS Igloo, it took place during the initial Zeon invasion of Earth. And then you have Lost War Chronicles, which is taking place during, I don't know, whatever. Uh, And then there's the Gundam's, like, arrival on the battlefield in the original Gundam. And then there's Operation Odessa, which is, like, the invasion of the Ukraine. And then, uh, like, so on and so forth. And, like, Mm -hmm. if you play it chronologically, like, all of a sudden, the the setting suddenly feels so rich because right. there are certain events going on and you're seeing it from so many different perspectives and there's so many different stories going on that mm-hmm. it's really terrific. Like, well, that sounds pretty interesting. I've been way more into the actual stories than I was expecting and mm-hmm. which has kept it from feeling like as much of a grind as it might have otherwise. Right. 
I'm now at the point where like, I'm actually moving very quickly toward getting all of the stuff that I want. Mm-hmm. But because I'm playing it chronologically, I um, am not getting all of the characters I want right off the bat. Like previously, I could have just bought them. Like you could mm-hmm. just buy them from the character list. They're yeah, like all right. available right from the start. But now like you have to fill out the little get gauge or you have to complete quests mm-hmm. or you have to complete the actual story. So as a result, um, I have a lot to play for because I won't get these characters for quite a while. Right. Well, that's interesting. Oh, yeah, that is kind of interesting. So uh, I created a couple of custom characters. I put myself in there. I put my girlfriend <laughs> in there. Um, I'm on the Zeon side. She's on the Federation side. So, <laughs> and, um, and I've been using some of the Gennaro characters to fill in until I can get some of the, some of the main characters. But I've also gotten a bunch of main, my, uh, I, I've also got a bunch of canonical characters as well, including mm-hmm. one of my favorites, uh, Haman Karn. I don't know uh, which one that is. Um, she's a villain from Zeta Gundam and she is a total badass and (laughs) I like her a lot. So I got her and her, her suit. And, uh, frankly, at this point, I'm kind of tearing up the battlefield whenever I play, unless I play on hard. If you play it on hard, it actually is quite a bit tougher. I I was going to say that, um, there was a a commenter an astute one, uh, from last week who told us that, uh, it was actually Zeta Gundam that had those watership down Gundams that we were talking about. (laughs) It wasn't Zeta Gundam. It was advance of Zeta, which was... Uh, I guess it was a prequel. Mm-hmm. I, I could be wrong. I don't know. <laughs> but yes, they had the Hazel Gundam and stuff. So yeah, uh, so. and I actually saw that available on the list of stuff that I could actually create. You should buy it or or make it. Sorry, you should. Make oh, it. nope, it's not on my list. Ah, I already uh, I already made my list of units that I'm going to make. Uh, so yeah, G Genesis. I am still enjoying. I might actually be a little too hooked on it. I really need to put this game down because it's so time consuming. Uh, but uh, I still like it. So I'm going to enjoy my Christmas vacation the way I want. Damn it. I was going to say vacation's coming up. So uh, you can spend all that time. You spend all the time you want. Absolutely. All right. Nadia. Yes. Let's talk a little bit about Valkyria Revolution. So Valkyria That's Revolution... Coming formerly known as Valkyria Azure Revolution, mm-hmm. coming out on the PlayStation 4, the Xbox One, and I think the Vita in yeah, February. I think so. Um, I, I looked it up, and I couldn't see any confirmation on the Vita for the US or not, but uh, it's possible. It is possible, and that would be nice. It looks like the Vita version will be digital only. Mm-hmm. Yes, the home console versions will be available both physically and digitally in the U- in the West, while the PlayStation Vita version will be a digital-only title. Right. Well, that kind of makes sense, I guess. Are you excited? Sure. I, I really enjoyed the first one. I never got to play the second one. And, of course, as we discussed earlier, the third one was only in Japan. I really like the fact they're they're doing, like, a war again, because talking about uh, the previous one, uh, number two, rather, uh, I think you mentioned it took place, it was like a high school thing or, or something like that. That was Vicuria Chronicles 2. Yeah, and it's yeah, like... Yeah, it um, was a high school comedy. Yeah, that's not exactly what I want out of <laughs> out of Valkyria Chronicles. Uh, no. Because I've actually talked at length about the themes and stuff that really, like, you know, affected me with the first game. And kids in high school was not one of them, just a hint. Yes, and, absolutely. Uh, frankly, going back to Persona 4 for a second, uh, I was a little worried at first because I don't care about school. I don't care about kids in high school, but I'm glad that I, I enjoy Persona 4 anyway, so... 
that's good. Indeed. Uh, as for me, um, Valkyria Revolution, I am cautiously optimistic about. It looks really mm-hmm. good. It does. Quite pretty. Um, I know that the demo uh, got a mixed reception to be kind when it was shown in Japan. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, such a mixed reception, in fact, that it actually underwent a lot of changes. Oh, okay. uh, Because the Japanese audience really didn't like how action-oriented it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I... And, and that's, like, totally understandable. Um, I personally um, kind of reserve judgment on the, on that front. I know that they added, like, an action gauge or something to that effect, and they're trying to make it more strategic and right. maybe a bit more in line with what the original game was. Yeah, because there's really nothing wrong with how the original plays. There's still no game that really plays like it. So if no. you want to revisit that, I'd be 100% on board. I really like the original game, but like, let's be honest, um, those those battles were so hard. They could be, yes. It was super frustrating um, feeling like if you didn't have a walkthrough, you were going to lose. Yeah, that did happen to me a couple of times. And not just a walkthrough, but like a step-by-step walkthrough. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Like it was at the point, by by the end of my original run through Valkyria Chronicles, like I was definitely using a step-by-step guide um, mm-hmm. to figure out what the heck I was supposed to be doing in Valkyria Chronicles. So uh, we'll see how Valkyria Revolution ends up shaking out. But Yeah, I'm glad it's coming over at any rate. Yeah, me too. I would have been pretty sad because Valkyria Chronicles 3 never did come out, which is mm-hmm. a shame. Uh, I would have very much have liked to have played that. Um, mm-hmm. It would have been nice if it got an HD update for Vita or as a digital download only. I, I yeah. was hearing a lot about one being in the works, but I guess it never panned out. Yeah, unfortunately, and that sort of thing happens, I guess. That's too bad. Yeah, that is too bad. But in any case, Valkyria Revolution... Uh, well, I'm glad it's coming out, and uh, it's not going to be stepped on by Persona 5 anymore, so <laughs> give us something to play. Well, though, it will kind of fall right on top of uh, Horizon Zero Dawn, which is a problem. Oh, right. Oh, wait, no, it's Q- Q2. I-, I think I'm confusing it with the Japanese release date. Oh, okay, yeah, Q2. I guess so. So I guess yeah. it'll come out in, like, May. In which case, it totally will like be stepping stepped on by uh, <laughs> Persona Five. Womp womp. Yeah, all you can do is your best. All you can do is your best. Yeah, all I'll, right. it, I'll definitely keep an eye on it. Put it that way. Absolutely. All right. Last topic of discussion. Mm-hmm. Nintendo Switch. Uh, lots of new information coming out. And it one headline that was kind of screaming at all of us. <laughs> uh, Nintendo Switch might be less powerful than the PlayStation 4. Yeah. Uh, Nadia, you seem to have a perspective on this. So I'm curious what it is. Uh, for one thing, um, I know rumors and speculation is all we have at this point. But I'm just hearing so many conflicting things about the Switch at this point that I'm almost ready to give up. And I say mm-hmm. that, but of course I like eat up everything I can read. Um, but like I'm hearing about, oh, it's actually really hard to develop for. Whereas all, not that long ago I heard, oh, it's really easy to develop for. It's really easy to port for to, you know. And uh, but hearing about it, we were. Um, it's supposed to be. It's supposed to have like a weaker chip than what um, uh, Nvidia uses now, or is go- or is coming out with, or something of that sort. 
mm-hmm. um, the Pascal chip or something. Of, like, I'm not a technical person, but uh, supposedly the chip that they're using, according to Mike, who is the technical person, uh, supposedly it runs with a little less power, but it's it Tegra, also... It's a Tegra chip. Tegra chip, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But it supposedly runs with a little less power, but it's... Um, it makes it cooler, number one. And number two, battery power, of course, is going to be a lot better for it. And I suppose, number three, if the rumors are true, it'll be a lot cheaper because there's some rumors about the Switch being $250, which is a great price point. It um, has to be $250. Yeah. It might even have to be $200. Ooh, I'd be okay with that. <laughs> it has to be cheap is, a, is the point. Can't yeah. be, uh, can't be more than $250. Yeah. And... Like, at this point, I think what Nintendo has to do more than anything else, and that includes, like, to get third-party support, is have a really good starting lineup and have, basically, make those sales. Because, as you and I discussed on Slack earlier today, the GameCube was a powerful little system, but you didn't get any third parties on that. That's not true. It had plenty of third parties. Um, And it had, actually, a lot of third parties. The problem that ended up killing the GameCube was that it didn't have online. Uh, which oh, made it substantially less uh, uh, intriguing as a third-party mm-hmm. platform uh, than oh, the PS2 okay. and the Xbox. And by the end, like, it kind of lagged behind. Or, like, for so much of the generation, it was neck and neck with the Xbox. That's and true, yes. a lot of games, you know, like Splinter Cell and stuff were coming out on the GameCube. Mm-hmm. But it was, like, the the as online became popularized, the lack of online play on the GameCube just killed it. And that was that. I mean, remember Soul Calibur 2? Yeah. And Soul, yeah. Cal- like Soul Calibur 2 was, like, the GameCube was the best platform for Soul mm-hmm. Calibur 2. So the GameCube actually wasn't as bad as we might remember for third-party uh, no, games. No, like, I'm, I don't know why I'm remembering it was, like, kind of a, a wasteland for third parties. I guess because it has some great Probably because of the Wii. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Wii dominates I mean, we didn't get mind. everything. Uh, there mm-hmm. were certain games that ultimately did not come out on the GameCube. But... Yeah. Uh, most of them did. And yeah. I remember IGN used to do their like side-by-side-by-side comparisons and everything. And then Nintendo effectively stopped competing on that footing and essentially consigned themselves to being a niche platform mm. from that mm-hmm. point on. Uh, well, except for the Wii, which sold millions upon millions of units, but I digress. The Wii was definitely a wasteland for third-party oh, yeah. uh, support, no and there. so was the Wii U, unfortunately. Yeah, And uh, it's hard to say what the Switch is going to look like. Um I I mean, if it does the sales and they can get the games on the Switch, then I think they'll come out on the Switch. Yeah, I think so. Um, and if Skyrim is already on there, Skyrim Remastered, then I don't really see it being like like, like such a, a huge um, detriment in power. You know what I mean? Like, hmm. Whereas you had the Wii was kind of nothing compared to the Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3. Um, you know, I don't know if that's going to be the case with the Switch versus the PlayStation 4, although, of course, now we have PlayStation 4, Neo, and Xbox, whatever it was, Scorpion S. Like, I can't even keep anything straight anymore. (laughs) But then again, are people going to adopt those systems? It's kind of a weird race right now. So a few thoughts. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that if... uh, So the Nintendo Switch will probably be powerful enough. Exactly. In that when it comes out it will still look reasonably good. Yes. Uh, it kind of reminds me of when the Wii first came out and like the Wii like actually did not look that bad compared to the 360 and the PS3 at launch because yeah, at first. because 
at that time, like the HD consoles were still kind of finding their footing. Mm-hmm. A lot of the games still looked a little bit like up-res PS2 games. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people still had CRTV televisions. Yes. So the was Wii was one. fine. Yeah. Uh, and the Wii even looked kind of a little sleek. It was sleek and cool and interesting. It's and, very like, cute. It was stylized. Uh, we're kind of in that position now mm-hmm. where the Switch will come out and it'll be about as good as the PS4 and the Xbox One, maybe a little less, maybe a little worse, maybe a tiny bit worse. Mm-hmm. The problem is the Xbox and the PS4 are already moving to the next the next phase of their developments, as it exactly. were, uh, in supporting 4K. And here's the big one, HDR. And HDR, mm-hmm. like, really does make a difference. People are like, going, I don't know about 4K, but HDR, like... Just the colors and the clearness and everything, like, it's huge. Now, the HDR adoption rate isn't that great at the moment, but I think that's going to be, like, a big deal uh, in later 2017, especially once uh, Project Scorpio, or whatever Mm -hmm. it's called, comes out. And suddenly the PS4 Pro and the Xbox Scorpio are coming head-to-head, and there's also the Switch over here. Yes, the Switch, which suddenly looks very underpowered compared to those systems, which have like one terabyte of blah, 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 and all of the teraflops. <laughs> so many teraflops. Many, many teraflops. Many, uh, many I heard, teraflops. I heard something about the Switch being one teraflop, and I'm like, I don't know if that's good or bad. Uh, well, there's only one of the teraflops. There are that's multiple true. teraflops on the Scorpion. Oh, okay. So, so many teraflops. But the Switch, uh, here's what I wonder. Mm-hmm. One does it matter if games are power like if you the game pushes pure visual fidelity anymore mm-hmm. because we are now at a point this is very different from 2006 where the most popular games can be the simplest looking games absolutely see stardew valley Undertale. as just one example so many games now lie on style over visual fidelity uh, exactly. A game like Overwatch could definitely come out on the Switch. Yeah, no problem there. No problem whatsoever. And it would look phenomenal. And it would look yeah. just as good as it does on the PS4 and the Xbox and, One. And uh, it'd be portable. And it, it would be portable uh, if you want to play it on, like, airport Wi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That would be a nightmare. People are like, what are you playing on? Well, I'm playing on this coffee shop Wi-Fi. Stop it. Oh, my God. That reminds me of, like, uh, shoot, when I would play, like, I can't remember the. I think Starbound or something like that. It was like mm. a, a like a shooting game that I played over over my 56k modem, and you'd start lagging so badly that they kick you out of the game. <laughs> so it'd, the, be, it'd be a little bit like that. Uh, the other question that I have is, how will people play the Switch? Like in terms of if they'll play it on their uh, TV or portable. Correct. Will that I. People play it majority on their television, or will it be more like a tablet? I could see them playing it. I would first of all, I don't see people taking it out of the house very often. Um, that is, seems like such a risk, doesn't it? Like it really I would does. be really nerve nervous about taking it out of the house. Yeah, and it's kind of weird when you think about it because you know if it is two hundred fifty dollars, that's still less than a good tab a good tablet. But. Um, it's just, Depen- I don't know, something about it feels too risky to me. Depending on the screen, I would probably play it on my couch, mostly exactly. as uh, a portable kind of thing rather than on my TV. Yeah, and that's what I'd be doing. I'd be taking it to the bedroom, you know, just kind of before bed sort of thing. Yes. But, uh, 
maybe, maybe, maybe if I had a long flight, I might risk it. But I would I'm, take it on trips. I would take it on trips, actually. Yeah, um, but I, I would, I would risk it losing it for to be able to play it on the plane. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. yeah, no, given that, like, I don't know, uh, your credit card information is on this thing. That's true. <laughs> and it's a very expensive piece of portable electronics, so less expensive than an iPad. Yeah, yeah. And uh, presuming that Nintendo comes out with, like, paid cards or pre-point cards or something like that, you could use those instead of your credit card information. But They better introduce a freaking cloud with That'd the Switch. That'd be nice. A, a cloud where I can just re-download all of my stuff onto a console if I lose my Switch. Because if mm-hmm. I lose my Switch and I say lose all of my data with it i will murder everybody yes like losing Um, all of my pokemon would make me go bonkers that would be terrible yes exactly so i I think another thing is in terms of japanese games Mm -hmm. i don't think the switch necessarily has to be the most powerful no Uh, you're absolutely right i mean like it doesn't have to be yeah it doesn't have to push all of the teraflops to run Danganronpa <laughs> 4 or whatever yeah. uh, ends up coming out, which you could totally see it coming out on the Switch, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't have to push all of the teraflops to run Monster Hunter. It doesn't have to push all of the teraflops to run Pokemon. Mm-hmm. So uh, I-, I think in that respect, it might also be fine. Yeah. And as we've discussed in the past, mobile gaming is the number one uh, trend in Japan, as long as it doesn't become game. a mobile gaming platform, like, yeah. in the truest sense of the word, I'm fine with that. Yeah, yeah. But uh, just the idea of having a uh, your own portable screen that you can take somewhere else in the house is very appealing to me, even if I don't take it out into the big, wide world. You'll see so many people with that thing on the train, because you don't actually have to worry as much about theft on Japanese mm-hmm. trains, thank God. Yeah. Yeah, so... All right. You know, when I was going into this conversation, my first thought was, hmm, if it's substantially less, if it's less powerful than the PS4, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. But having talked to you now and like kind of worked through it, I wonder if it's a problem. Might not as yeah. be as much of a problem as I think. I don't, I don't think it's, first, first of all, there's so many rumors, so much rumors and speculation at this point, there's, it's hardly worth talking about, not that it stops anyone, obviously. No, I'm going to talk about it now. <laughs> I have, like, at least another 15 minutes to fill on this podcast, and we are going to talk about it. <laughs> no, but um, it's, uh, I don't know, like, I'm not so worried because I saw Skyrim on there, and it's... Skyrim is a five-year-old game, Nadia. Just want to point not that the, out. Uh, not the remastered version, though. That's true. It is, I mean, it's not, true. like, the most powerful game in the world, by all means, but if they can handle a Skyrim, then it can... There's probably a lot of things out there I can handle. Plus, it was, uh, what was it, NB- NBA 7, 2K17 or one of the sports games? One of the NBAs, yeah. Yeah, But so... we'll see how compromised the sports games are. If it's compromised in the least, people just won't buy it. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, I know you sh- you wouldn't, right? Absolutely not. No, because there's no reason to. It's because if you buy it and it's compromised, well, actually, if it's only a little compromised and I can play it portably... Mm. that might make it worth it but the problem is like so many people play sports games for the online communities yes if nobody's playing that particular sports game they just won't play it exactly so that would be a problem yeah but yeah i guess we'll see all right uh, i am not too worried we'll find out more in january and um yes i can't wait really yeah i i think 
it all comes down to the launch titles and, and how well it does in that in that first year. Yeah, it really does. If it gets off to a strong start, uh, the Switch should be able to build up enough of install base that it can. It won't have to worry as much about the content gaps that it has in the past. And yeah, unlike and Sony, Nintendo's actually going to support their platform instead of letting it die. Yeah, and you know what? Playing the Vita now, it's like, oh, what? A, it's so heartbreaking how it was abandoned because it's such a stylish little system. Isn't it? I can't believe oh, we didn't so own one cute. until now. I know, me neither. But of course, like Jeez, I said, it, finding one was a, was a chore in itself. Really? Wow, that's Well, finding one, finding one was difficult, and finding the memory card was hell. Hmm. My previous Vita died, and I just went over to the local GameStop and bought one, like, straight away. Card, um, did you have a problem with the memory card? No. Yeah, that was a hard part. Well, I already it. had a memory card in the previous one, oh, so duh, it was of fine. <laughs> the, memory, the, the proprietary memory was stupid. Yes. And that was actually, that contributed a lot to mm-hmm. what killed it, because it made it so much more expensive. It was dumb. Very dumb. All right. Acts of Blood God is a U.S. gamer podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever podcasts are sold. Follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. I don't think we're actually on Instagram. <laughs> uh, Twitch, yeah. Twitter, um, at U.S. Gamer Net. Follow me at the underscore catbot. You can follow Nadia at Nadia Oxford. If you have comments or your own thoughts on anything we talked about on the show, say you're playing SD Gundam G Generation and you want to talk about uh, your own list of Gundams that you're going to be using, <laughs> send it along. I don't care. Maybe I'll even read it on the show. You'd make but it I, very happy. I, I do enjoy reading your songs. If you have thoughts on the Switch, whatever, if you have an underrated RPG pitch, send it our way. Mm-hmm. Nadia, what do you got to, what do you got to promote? Uh, at this point... Um my review of Mario Run is up. Yeah. I might want to check that out. You liked it, right? Yeah, I liked it. Excellent. It's a, it's, it's a well-built mobile game, and that's exactly what the now? industry needs. I need to put it on my phone. I think yeah, I'm going to put it on my phone right now. Uh, technology. Yes, this is exciting. <laughs> also, you wrote a preview of Dragon Quest Eight. I did. Yes, please read that. I got to uh, kind of take a look at that, and uh, I enjoy what I saw, so I'm looking forward to it in the new year. Yes. Very true. Okay. Um, next week is our final Acts of the Blood God of the year. Mm-hmm. Yes. And we are going to cover all of the RPGs of the year. We probably could have done the first part today, but we didn't. <laughs> so no. we're going to make it one big fat episode that you can listen to over the holidays. And then we're going to take a break. We're going yeah. to take a well-deserved rest Indeed. And we'll be back the week after to resume and talk about all of the new RPGs coming out in 2017. Oh yes. my god, Nadia, 2016's almost done. We're almost out. Yes, and all, uh, almost uh, almost done, and all the teraflops will come with us next year. <laughs> <laughs> Bring forth the teraflops. All the teraflops. 2017, year of the teraflop. <laughs> I thought it was year of the rat or something like that. Or what? year of the goat. No, it's... The- Year of the Ram, that's it. Year of the Ram? I think. Oh, I'm a boar. No, I, I'm, a, I'm a monkey. You're a monkey? I'm a monkey. You are such a monkey. But I am totally a, a monkey. In a lovely, wonderful way. <laughs> no All worries. right. Thanks for listening, as always, and we'll be back for the final episode of the year next week. But until then, for Nadia and myself, thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next time. Until then, happy adventuring. Thank you.